0: Thank you, Dan, for leading us in that time. I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2 and also uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Acts chapter 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, It's uh, good to be here with you this morning. I found my way into Sugar Grove uh, earlier this morning. I spent some time with our youth group leaders uh, there at the Sugar Grove campus doing some training and getting ready for a new year and then buzzed back out here and... I just had some good windshield time to kind of spend with the Lord this morning and prepare for church together, but also as a good reminder for me, um, coming into today's message, that we find churches of all sorts of different shapes and sizes and people and strategies and places, and uh, there's a whole great diversity that we find in the church Right? We find churches throughout different cultures, we find uh, churches that are made up of different uh, giftings and skill sets, we find churches that have different resources, and churches that look altogether very different from our, each other. This morning was a reminder of that in some ways for me, Sugar Grove campus looks very different uh, than the Indian Creek campus, and yet here we are as one church, uh, under one name, uh, that reminder as we just celebrated in the table of communion in the blood of Jesus Christ. But despite all the diversity that we find in the churches, and despite the uniqueness that we might find in each specific local congregation of the church, there are things that the Bible has outlined as key essential elements to the function of the church. These uh, essential elements are uh, things of priority, they're things of practice that should be part of uh each local church and what every church is doing despite their location, despite uh, their resources, despite their culture, uh, the Bible has set them apart and it's important for us as times to uh, kind of come back and look at these essential elements again. They're things that uh, no doubt for us as believers, uh, we're familiar with them, uh, we've heard them before, we're, we're comfortable with these ideas, but we come back because as we do so, we're reminded that the church is, so, we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves Right for as much as our culture kind of preaches individualism, don't touch my life, don't touch uh, my checkbook, don't touch my schedule, don't touch my family, don't touch anything about me. I get to kind of dictate and rule my own life. Being part of the church reminds us that it's not all just about us. That as members of the church, as members of God's uh, body, we're called to something greater, uh, greater than Village Bible Church in Indian Creek, greater than Village Bible Church greater than the American church, greater than even the church in the modern day, that we are called up as part of a body of believers that make up all times. And so uh, this morning, if you found your way to Acts chapter 2, uh, we're going to uh, take a, a glimpse into this because Acts chapter 2 kind of gives us what we might call like the 30,000-foot the view of some of the essential elements that were taking place in the early church. So starting today and over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at these essential elements. We're going to be talking about uh, what were they? Why were they important? What do they look like for us to practice and participate in them today? But As we look at Acts chapter 2, I remember and I recognize that in the Bible there are certain texts that are prescriptive and certain texts that are descriptive. What I mean by that, if you're unfamiliar, is that there are certain things in the Bible that say, this is what you ought to do, or or, this is how you should live. This is what the church should focus on. And Acts chapter 2, in many ways, is not prescriptive, but is descriptive. It's describing the life of the early church. These are the things that were happening. These are the things that we saw taking place. Yet, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, as we look at these essential elements, that elsewhere in the Bible, they are prescribed. We are told that they are important, they are critical, essential uh, to the life and makeup of the church. And so I want to turn our attention to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 uh, together this morning. And each week as we gather, we're going to read this passage again and again uh, to be reminded of these things. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are grateful in many ways for the example of the early church. As we look to the book of Acts, as we look to the apostles' ministry, that we are shown what the church could look like, what the church should look like. And so, Father, I pray that as we embark on this journey uh, over the next six weeks total, as we look at these essential elements, Father, that we would be humbled, we would be reminded of the great blessing that it is to be your body. The great blessing it is to gather, uh, not just in this location, but to recognize that we are part of something that's far larger than ourselves. So, Lord, I ask for humility Lord, I ask that as we open your word together, that you would lead us, that you would teach us and guide us, that you might be honored as we study it together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, six essential elements over the course of six weeks, and I'm just going to give you a little caveat right now that uh, we are not going to claim that these six things are exhaustive. Uh, What I mean by that is that these six essential elements that we're going to look at are not all of the essential elements to the church. They are six that we see come up in the book of Acts. Uh, But there are other things that uh, if we were to devote more time on and have perhaps a whole class uh, on the church that we could talk about, things that are essential and necessary and important to the life and makeup of the church. But these six things are things that we are going to see uh, surface here in the book of Acts. And so... Acts chapter 2 is going to kind of act as our home base, if you will, uh, for the next six weeks. We're going to go back there, but then we're going to jump to other places in Scripture. Uh, That's why I've called you to join me this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, because that's where uh, we're going to spend our time looking at the first of these essential elements this morning. I've been given the responsibility today to preach on the importance and essential nature of preaching seems like a circular reasoning of how to go about things. I'm going to preach on why I'm doing what I'm doing and the importance of why we do it. But uh, as we see in the book of Acts, uh, the early church, we are told, they devoted themselves to the apostles Teaching Now, as we concluded our study in the Gospel of John, you'll remember back that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And the third time that he appeared to his disciples, he did so by a lake, right? And there was a, a charcoal fire and a bunch of fish involved and a, and a handful of the disciples that had gone out. And then Jesus had this conversation with one of the disciples whose name was Peter. And we saw in that conversation this, this really beautiful picture of the restoration of Peter. Here this guy had just kind of utterly failed in so many areas following Jesus. And throughout that conversation, we see Jesus, in a sense, restore and reinstate Peter to ministry. And as he did, he asked Peter three times, right, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus would give him commands, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Now, we know that uh, Jesus didn't have like a whole herd of sheep sitting behind him in the fields, uh, that he's like, hey, Peter, I need your help making sure these guys are well fed. But as we saw throughout Jesus' ministry. His sheep were those who followed him. They were believers, his disciples. And here he commissions Peter to go and to feed them. In other words, to teach them the word they had first received from Christ. And so if you were to turn your page from Acts chapter 2, you'd see in Acts chapter 4, here you've got Peter and John, right? That dynamic duo that we saw throughout the Gospel of John over and over again. And here they're, they're preaching, we're told, to the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And the response to their preaching was this. We see in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were well-educated, scholarly men. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were funny and witty preachers. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, no, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Ordinary guys that had met an extraordinary man. And here they preached with boldness. And so the the teaching of the apostles, uh, as a few years ago we spent actually two whole years going through the book of Acts, we saw over and over and over again the boldness of, of the gospel proclamation of the apostles. We see much of the New Testament written by them, and if you were to flip over to Acts chapter 20, you'd see not just Peter and John involved in the preaching, this bold preaching of the gospel, but you'd see this guy named Paul kind of surface to the scene. And we're told in Acts chapter 20 that, that Paul had, maybe in this circumstance, a slightly less bold approach, yet his teaching was thorough. We're told that on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. He intended to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech till midnight. And I only bring this up because I want you to settle in and get comfortable because we're going to be here a while. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. I love one pastor that I I enjoy listening to remarked that if you were to ask somebody what kind of preacher Paul was, they might respond that he was was killer. He was killer. So you got the bold preaching of Peter and John, you got the the killer preaching of Paul uh, taking place that's marking the, the early outset of the ministry in the early church. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. And yet, what does 2 Timothy chapter 4 have to do with that? That's where I want to focus our attention this morning because 2 Timothy is a, what we call a pastoral letter. It is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, a young pastor, who early in his ministry, and and he's encouraging Timothy in his pastoral ministry. So we see as Paul talks in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, we see as he writes to Titus, as he gives counsel as to what it is to pastor the church, how to go about pastoring the church. So we'll talk about the church that Timothy's pastoring. He'll tell him things that he ought to do. And we see here in chapter 4 that Paul gives Timothy a charge. He charges Timothy with something, and something quite serious. As we look at verse 1, we see Paul write, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. What a context for a charge. So Paul doesn't come to Timothy and say, "Hey, I charge you on my own authority," or he doesn't say, uh, "Timothy, I charge you in my own preferences and my own philosophy of ministry," because I come and I charge you in the presence of God. And he goes through all these things and he appeals uh, to the judgment of God. I I appeal to you, I charge you, because God is going to judge all people, the living and the dead. Not one person is going to withstand or not be taken in by the judgment of God. All people will be judged. So Timothy, I charge you because of that. I charge you because of God's imminent return. He says, by his appearing. God's return is imminent, and oftentimes it's easy for us to sit back and think, yeah, we know God's going to return, we know that that day may come, but it seems like perhaps it's just never going to happen. But Paul speaks with an urgency here, saying, it's imminent. We don't know when it may happen, so I charge you, because when he returns, he's going to judge all people, so I charge you there. And then he charges in God's authority, by his kingdom. It's not in himself, it's not his words, but is in God's words. God's charge as ruler over His kingdom. What a context for this charge that we see come out in verse 2. Preach the Word. I charge you in view of the judgment of God, in view of the presence of God, in view of His imminent return, in view of His authority and rule, to preach the Word. Preach the Word. And Paul tells Timothy to do so to be ready in season and out of season. In other words, uh, quite literally what Paul is telling Timothy is, uh, don't just preach the Word on Sunday mornings, but always be ready to preach the Word. Preach the Word when it's comfortable. Preach the Word when it's uncomfortable. Preach the Word when it's convenient. Preach the Word when it's inconvenient. Preach the Word when it's easy. And preach the Word when it may cause suffering for you. Be ready in season and be ready out of season. Always be ready ready so he doesn't charge timothy to uh, preach his theories or philosophies that are popular in his day he doesn't charge timothy to preach self-help or personal improvement practices he doesn't charge timothy to merely uh, hit the hot topics of the day he doesn't charge timothy to preach his own ideas or opinions he charges timothy to preach the word why Here's the reason. The reason for preaching God's Word is because God's Word is enough. All that we need is found in God's Word. God's Word is not partial to any person, any culture, any time. God's Word addresses all people equally. God's Word speaks to the human condition. God's word speaks to the, the nature of God. God's word speaks to salvation. God's word addresses righteousness and holiness. So why preach the word? Because God's word got it all, so why go somewhere else? So let's look at the context of uh, Paul's charge to Timothy. Look back to the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3. The beginning of chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal not loving good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And you're like, dude, Paul, holy cow. Nothing like calling it out shooting straight, blunt as ever. Timothy, this is what people will be like. You are called to pastor and teach and lead, and I charge you to preach the Word because these things will mark people's lives. People are likely to stray. And it's easy for us as we read a list like that to think of those over there, outside the church. But notice a couple of things that Paul lists. These are people who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. These are people who are always learning, but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. In other words, I don't think Paul only has those outside the church in mind. Paul is telling Timothy, buddy there will be people in your church that resemble these things so preach the word and it's humbling to look that as Paul tells Timothy these things he says in in verse 5 of chapter 3 avoid such people Well, that doesn't sound all too Christian, now does it? Why would Paul tell Timothy to avoid these people? Never, never does the Apostle Paul, never do the Scriptures tell us that we should avoid unbelievers. He tells us that we should walk carefully, that we should be wise, but not that we should avoid As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Verse 10, not at all meeting the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of these things. Heavy charge. Heavy charge. Paul is teaching Timothy and saying, instruct, giving him instruction, this is how you pastor your church. In view of this, because people are likely to stray, preach the word. Now I don't say these things in any way right now to heap up guilt on our heads or to stir anything up, but I say these things because as this is why we preach the word. Because we recognize that left to our own devices, we're prone to stray, we're prone to wander, but by the sovereignty of God holding us in His hand. And so at Village Bible Church, we don't preach popular theories. We don't just preach on hot topics. We don't pull in other books and just preach on other books. We preach the Word. And we do so book by book, verse by verse, so that we would preach the full counsel of God's Word. Not skipping over the difficult passages, not uh, skimping around things that might be uh, the touchy subjects, but we have to uh, bring the full counsel of God's Word to bear on our lives. We preach the Word. Because we recognize that people are likely to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and the list goes on. So we preach the Word. But not only that, Paul also gives Timothy another reason. If you look at verse 10 and following, he reminds Timothy that people are likely to struggle. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. In other words, Paul says to Timothy, Dude, you've seen my life. You've been there through thick and thin. You've seen it all. You've heard my teachings. You've witnessed my testimony. You've been there. And he goes on. In verse 12, when he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a wicked world, verse 13 tells us. So the question is not a matter of if we are going to struggle in our pursuit of living a godly life, but when. And those struggles sometimes come from outside, right? We think oftentimes of the struggles that we face from other people who will come in and persecute us, but, but perhaps there's also the struggle that comes from within. We're told that temptation doesn't seize us from the outside, but temptation seizes us from our own hearts when we're carried away by our own passions, our own desires. So in your pursuit of godliness, I encourage you to check yourself. To understand the word, to devote yourself to its preaching. Because that's what we've been called to do. We've never been told and promised and guaranteed that this life of following Christ will be easy. Last week, uh, Bill preached on the grace of lament, and I wrote something down that stuck with me uh, that he said. He said that for those who are lost, this world is as good as it gets. You remember? But he said, for the believer, this world is as hard as it gets. What a profound understanding. So we call each other and encourage each other to persevere in the faith because time is short. And so we preach the word because people are going to stray. We're prone to stray. And God's word acts as the shepherd's staff to lead and guide people to stay in the fold. We preach the word because people are going to struggle and God's word provides perspective and truth and encouragement to help us to persevere in those sufferings and trials. And we preach God's word because we're confident that when it is taught, it reveals the truth of God. Secondly, the revelation in preaching God's word. Verse 14, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, a.k.a. the scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's not writing to Timothy in the assumption that, hey man, if you just keep reading God's word, then maybe you'll figure out salvation. If you just keep reading God's word and keep devoting yourself and keep continuing in the scriptures, that'll make you wise so you can finally get saved, kid. He's saying, no, continue in it because it has. Remember what you've already believed, what you've been taught, who's taught you. Continue in it because it makes you wise for salvation. That tells me something. And perhaps Paul's view of the scriptures is not just a revelation of how to get saved, how to get in the door. Perhaps Paul has in mind that the scriptures also reveal what it means to live saved. How do you live as somebody who is saved and set apart and consecrated for God? The scriptures will reveal these things. But why then not just teach other books? There's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of great books that are written. Why not just cover those things? Why not just devote ourselves to them? They're practical. They're timely. They speak into our context. Some of them are written in our very day. They're, they're made in our very day by people who live in the times that we live in. Aren't those good? They are. But they're not the Word. There's one Word of God. And we preach it and we study it. Why? And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. But the apostles' teaching was deeply rooted in the scriptures. I have a book somewhere, I tried to find it so I could show you guys, a book that is uh, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, if you've hold, held up your Bible, you know is, it's rather small in comparison. right? This, this is mine, New Testament to Old. But this book, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament, is this thick. And it's like a big book. It's like it's a hefty thing. The apostles' teaching was rooted in in our theology class a few weeks ago. We talked about the resurrection and the early creed of the apostles found in 1 Corinthians 15. Where Paul writes, Christ died for our sins, what? In accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures. So the apostles' teaching was not void of the scriptures. But it was in view of, it was, it was teaching these scriptures, bringing them to barracks, showing their application. And so here we find ourselves as, as Timothy in some, or in some ways is receiving the baton. If you were to view the apostolic ministry kind of as a relay race, like Paul is running the race. And here at, as he's writing this, as we see following our passage, his, his time's come. His, his race is nearing the end. And so he's passing the baton to Timothy and saying, preach the word preach the word timothy not an apostle paul an apostle said preach the word preach it in its full counsel why because it's all we need verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by god and it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness Why do we preach God's Word? Because its attributes set it apart from all other things. The attributes of Scripture set it apart from the podcasts that we listen to. Its attributes set it apart from the books that we read, the radio stations, all these things. The attributes of Scripture, it is breathed out by God. When's the last time you sat and opened your, your Bible and thought, Wow, this is God's Word to us. Everything that He wanted us to know, He has given us in His Word. Boy, that changes the way you look at it. Now you just want to soak it up. Soak it up like a sponge. Wow, what can I get from this? What is God communicating? What is God revealing through His Word? What is God calling me to in His Word? Because this is what He's given. This is it. So if the podcasts are part of your life, great. But if the podcast prevents you from getting into the Word of God and you've substituted the Word for a podcast, start with the Word. Reading other books, great. But if they prevent you from getting in the Word, start with the Word. Bring those in next because you have to filter all of those things by this thing. So if you don't know this thing, those things can lead you astray. Know the Word. It is profitable. It is sufficient for all that we need. Uh, We're told here that it is profitable for these things. Do we trust that? Do we trust that the Scriptures alone are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness? Isaiah 55, 55, verse 11. God says this, And so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So, brothers and sisters, do we believe, do we believe that the scriptures are profitable? Do we really believe it? For teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that is good for all these things. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you're going to preach the Word because the Word is what needs to get across. It's not just about the communicator. It's not about having the wittiest or most educated person in the front of the room. It's about having this book open in the front of the room. That it is taught truthfully and fully and honestly. And so Paul Charges Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. He says, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He tells Timothy to do these things as he preaches. Reproving, literally, if you're not familiar with it, having to do more with reason and understanding. Reproving to, to bring something to light, to expose, to, to brush the dirt off the top of something and to, to bring what's underneath to the surface. So it might be seen and perceived and understood. Reprove in your preaching. He says rebuke in your preaching. Literally, rebuke, call it out. Call it how it is. Be okay with saying, you're wrong. You are on the wrong path. One, uh, one pastor once said that any teacher who's teaching... Tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. Any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and mankind. Rebuke. Exhort is to encourage, to, to bring someone along, to spur someone on like, guys, we should do this. This is what God calls us to do, to exhort us to follow Him. And we do all of these things and Paul's encouragement to Timothy to do these things is consistent with the nature of Scripture. So he doesn't say bring something to the Scriptures that aren't already there because he already said that the Scriptures are profitable for teaching. So in your preaching, reprove. He says that they're already profitable for rebuke. So in your preaching, rebuke. He says that they're already profitable for training in righteousness. So in your preaching, exhort. Be consistent and teach consistently with the scriptures. But it's all in the delivery, as Paul would say, probably at the end of his life, looking back on a life of, a long life of preaching and teaching and ministering, that it takes time to sometimes see fruit. And so as you reprove, rebuke, and exhort, he says to do so with complete patience and teaching. So it's not like Timothy gets up in front of his church one day and is like, guys, we ought to do this. This is what God's word calls us to, and people struggle, and it takes time. And He's like, Dude, this wasn't, I, I didn't show up next week, and this whole thing was resolved. And Timothy just skips town. He's like, I'm out of here. These people aren't listening. Complete patience and teaching. In other words, Timothy, be in it like the long haul. Just like you saw my conduct and my aim in life, and my teaching, and my faith, and my patience, and my love, and my steadfastness, and my persecutions, so too let them see yours complete patience in teaching. The scriptures are profitable. Its attributes set it apart so that its application might set us apart. 17, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, it's not enough to just hear God's Word. We ought to apply God's Word. It's profitable for all of these things, but if left unapplied, then they may just puff up our minds. We may become, like Paul says and criticizes, of those who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, God's Word isn't good enough just to sit around and only be profitable for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. If God's word is only good for you for this time in your week, then perhaps you've either missed the preaching or we ought to stop and reconsider how our preaching is being done. Because the preaching of God's word ought to be to bring about our equipping to live out the life God has called us to 24-7-365. If the preaching of God's word and the understanding of God's word has no claim on your life on Tuesday afternoon, then perhaps you're not engaging with God's word correctly. Or perhaps the preaching of God's word is subpar. James one twenty two says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And he goes on, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Hopefully many of us did that this morning. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Hopefully we didn't do that. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing so brothers and sisters i exhort you to apply god's word to your life to sit under its counsel because ultimately paul brings to mind in his charge to timothy our relationship to god's word in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4 This is how you ought to preach. Why? Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Literally, what Paul is saying is you know what people are going to do? Forget the Bible and its sound teaching. They're going to go find teachers who tell them what they want to hear. And that's why we preach the word, because it's not my message. I remember when I was early into doing ministry, I was always so intimidated by actually teaching on the Word. It was easy for me to, to talk about my illustrations and share stories, but to actually get into the meat of the Scripture and say, this is what it means, this is what it calls us to. I was intimidated to do that until one day, I just it dawned on me, like, it's not my message. It's God's message. And so if I'm to have any confidence in anything I say, it's just to tell people what God's already saying. Because if they're going to shoot the messenger, then let them shoot the messenger. It's God's word, not mine. It's God's authority, not mine. And we live in a day, brothers and sisters, where people are doing this very thing. They are accumulating for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I don't like this, so I'm going to go and find somebody who interprets it differently how I like it. And we go and we accumulate these things. Preach the Word. And he's telling Timothy in essence, dude, stay faithful and true to the Gospel and to the Word of God because there's going to come a time when people start walking out the back door of your church because they don't like what you have to say, but remain faithful. Preach the Word. This uh, last week, so you guys know I I do the youth group at Sugar Grove and um, this last week, we had a, a situation going on with a little a little, a, a sixth-grade student um, who was struggling to figure a bunch of things out, had been lied and deceived about uh, the nature of reality and, and all small manner of things. And um, we'd sat down talked with a student about a number of things and, and worked through a bunch of this stuff. And this week, said student sent a message to their leaders and said, I'm not going to come to youth group anymore because I don't like what you guys have to say about this. And that stinks. Doesn't it? It stinks sometimes when you stand on the truth and you share what God has said. And you do so in a gracious and loving way and it's thrown back in your face and said, I'm out. You know what I encouraged their leaders to do this week? I said, don't change your message. Your message is true. You were faithful to what God has called. We pray, we invite, we love. but We also have to teach the truth. The reality is, guys, there are people all around us doing these very things. Leaving the truth. And so we have to allow... The preaching of God's word and God's word in itself to govern our passions. Because otherwise what happens is we turn around and we let our passions govern us and it'll take us anywhere but the good place to be. We may find ourselves in a world of hurt because this is what I feel. My heart's telling me this. You know what the Bible says about our hearts? It's deceitful and wicked above all things and it cannot be trusted. So don't follow your heart. Follow the Word of God. Let God's Word govern those passions to teach you how to wrestle with them, to teach you how to live in them, to teach you how to follow God because God's Word will teach you and show you what it is to interact with the circumstances of life around you and to follow God faithfully in the midst of this world. Guys, It is profitable for all these things that the man of God may be complete, equipped for most good works, some good works, for every good work. It's here. God's given us all that we need. So let his word govern our passions, because when we do that, we'll allow it to guide our path. We're told not only do you accumulate these teachers to suit their passions, but we're told that they will turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. And the nature of believing anything, belief will always present itself in action. If you believe something to be true, you're going to live in a way that resembles that fact. And so as people abandon the truth and they wander off and follow all these myths and passions and philosophies and theories of the world today, that will lead them down a path that is contrary to God's Word not in line with God's Word. So allow it to govern your path. Allow what God says is true. Allow what God and how He tells us to perceive reality and life around us. Allow these things to guide you. Live in view of them. I've said for a while now, is just as we've had conversations about things um, here and there, like at some point, we have to take God's word at its face value. At some point, if God says something, we have, to, we have to obey it. At some point, we have to say, well, God said this, so I'm going to trust him and live as he's called me to do it. I encourage us to continue to do those things today. To humbly... And faithfully follow. See, the preaching of God's Word ought to speak to the whole individual. It ought to speak to your life, to your thoughts, your emotions, your passions, because God's Word speaks to the human condition god's word speaks to the heart of man god's word speaks to the nature of god and the great divide between the two god's word speaks to righteousness and holiness so god's word ought to speak to us as a whole so i encourage you with this that today's message and all those that will follow to not simply just take them at face value But I encourage you to examine the scriptures to see if what is said from this pulpit is true. And I would encourage you to do the same for the books that you read, the music you listen to, the podcasts you listen to, to ensure that you are listening to and following the truth. That you are not being deceived and led down into the myths and theories and philosophies of the world. In Acts chapter 17, we're told that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue and we're told that these Jews were more noble than those who were in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so I humbly stand before you today. And I say, man, if the Apostle Paul was fact-checked, then I sure hope that you'd fact check me. I hope that you would fact check Bill Warner or Kevin or whoever stands in this pulpit. And for that, you need to know the word. So I encourage you to not just take this message and let it be done in a moment and just wait till next week for another one. And I encourage you to take this message and chew on it. Open the script. Did what I tell you this morning, is it true? Ask questions. Mull on it. And push back if I'm wrong. Because it's not about my pride. It's about the word of God and faithfulness to the gospel and the truth. So be a faithful Berean, as cliche as that is. And examine our teaching That we might preach the truth Paul charges Timothy I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus Who is to judge the living and the dead And by his appearing and his kingdom Preach the word Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort With complete patience in teaching